our music and worship ministry this morning for the, well, all the songs we've sung, but the last one that we sung as a congregation is especially a challenge. Our choir pulled it off flawlessly a few weeks ago, and I want to thank you all for leading the congregation in singing it. I had dreamed of the day when we would sing that, and then I can't say enough about that uh, song you all just sang. We uh, have been discussing uh, the future of Beach Haven Baptist Church. And what I'm proposing is that Beach Haven Baptist Church follow Christ as Lord. That'll be our driving, pulsating motive in all that we do. Follow Christ as Lord as a global church, a church with global and local missions commitments. Together, that word is global. As great commissionaries, people who have a heart and practice and zeal for the Great Commission. Uh, by winning and baptizing and training great commissionaries, a new term, that we're coining and working with, but uh, training great commissionaries of all the nations, tribes, peoples, and languages of the athens Clark County metropolitan region. That is what I'm urging and encouraging. Uh, tentatively, I'm planning on us having a Great Commission Commitment Sunday, December 21st, and I'm asking us to surrender our lives in ev- several areas. One, I'll surrender my life to do my part in the Great Commission. And as we look at the biblical text over the next few weeks, you can define that according to the Scripture. Then I will surrender my prayer life to pray at 714 every day. I want to ask our whole church family to pray at 714 every morning. If you miss the morning, then you've got the evening. 714 does come twice a day. But uh, I want us to do that. I want us to remember 2 Chronicles 714. If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. And I want us to pray in that vein uh, beginning uh, in January, January 1st, beginning at 714 in the morning. And then I want us to pray for our Act 22 project where we're looking at remodeling, refurbishing, redoing uh, a good bit of our education space. And we will give you more information on that as time goes on. But we need to be unified as a church in this project. And then finally, I surrender my resources to support the Great Commission, including my tithes and offerings. If you're a guest with us, we don't expect you to give to Beach Haven Baptist Church, but that's something that our members do, and it's a commitment on their part. It's an expectation of the Word of God, and uh, as time goes on, we'll talk more about this. Now, this assumes that we know what the Great Commission is. However, more than 30 years ago, David Barrett, a missions researcher, found throughout the world 70, yes, 70 different definitions of the Great Commission. How in the world can there be 70 different definitions of the Great Commission? That's like 70 different definitions of University of Georgia football. 70, someone's, you know, it makes me wonder, who's, is anyone paying attention to what the biblical text actually says? Uh, someone said that Jesus ascended to heaven and went back to heaven to miss the debate over what the Great Commission is. Uh, The truth is, is that the Great Commission is exactly what Jesus said it is. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. He is Lord over the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16, Jesus issues the Great Commission. And I want you to notice here in verse number 17 that He appears in His resurrected glory, and some worship Him, but some who are worshiping Him doubt. Uh, This word can be doubt. It can be hesitate. It comes from a word, which uh, the root word, which is the word to. 
And it has the idea of being of two minds, being in conflict. They're hesitating, they're even doubting at this point, and in response to their hesitation and doubt, the Lord Jesus gives them the Great Commission. Isn't that interesting? That's how he responded to this. Beginning in verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen, is what he said. In the midst of doubt, Jesus provides the Great Commission as a great reassurance. There are some who doubt their righteousness. They doubt whether they're righteous enough to be a part of the Great Commission. Then there are some who doubt their right to go to the world and say, without faith in Christ, everything is wrong. Religion, direction in life, purpose, belief in faith. What right do I have to tell the world that? Some doubt because of their role. They don't know exactly what to do, and they hesitate because of that. And then some doubt because of their resources. They simply don't know if they have what it takes to engage meaningfully in the Great Commission. I want, I've got good news for you. If you have any doubt, if you have any hesitation, Jesus Christ provides the reassurance, the assurance of the Great Commission. There's an awful lot of reassurance that is found here in this text. And let me mention some of these uh, items with which he reassures us. First, Jesus assures with his mercy those doubting because of their righteousness. Those doubting their righteousness. Now, do you recall what happened as Jesus was arrested and dying on the cross? The disciples charged full ahead, and they grabbed hold of Jesus Christ, and they all went to the cross with Him and stood with Him, right? No, that's not what they did. That's not what they did at all. Matthew chapter 26, verse 56, the Bible says that they all fled from Him, except for John. They all fled. John and Peter went on somewhat into the high priest's court, and there... Peter was backed down by a little girl and denied the Lord three times. Well, in verse 16 and 17, Jesus is meeting with these same disciples on the mount. He's called them together, and they're meeting with him there on the mount. Because back in chapter 28, verse 10, just a few verses above, it said that Jesus said to the women, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee. What a remarkable, merciful, gracious referent here. Jesus earlier had been told your mothers and brothers are here in uh, Matthew 12. And in Matthew 12, 50, Jesus said, Who are my mothers, brothers, and sisters? It's those who do the will of God. These are my brothers. And despite the fact that these disciples had fled from Jesus, despite the fact that these disciples had abandoned him and failed him, Jesus, in verse number 10, still calls them his brethren. You see, Jesus Christ did not see them as they were. He saw them as they could be by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he gives them this designation. He said, go tell my brethren to meet me on the mountain. Go tell my brethren to meet me on the mountain. He did not say, go tell my traitors. Or go tell those who've broken my heart. Or go tell those who have failed me. There's no mention of that at all in the text. He says instead, go tell my brethren. So he's gathering with them on the mount. 
because he believes in them and he can use them in his great commission. But that's not all. He not only meets with his brethren, but he meets with them on a mount. Well, in the Jewish mind, that would call to mind Moses meeting with God on the mount where he gave him the law. Jesus ascends the mount and gives them the great commission. And so they are in a place of honor, just like Moses and just like Elijah, when fire fell from heaven and burned up the sacrifices. In other words, Jesus Christ calls these who betrayed him, who fled from him, who could not stand by him despite their intense commitment to him, and calls them my brethren and elevates them on the mount to a position of honor. And he wants to do that with you today. There is no failure, no sin, no hesitation, no doubt big enough to keep Jesus Christ from using you. If you will surrender and forsake any sin or failure and trust His grace, Jesus Christ can use you. Please don't spend the rest of your life looking in the rearview mirror. It can help to glance at it, but as you're traveling down the road, if you gaze in the rearview mirror, you're an accident looking for some place to happen. And this morning, by the grace of Jesus Christ, God gives you the freedom to forget the past and press forward to what lies ahead before you. And you can do that because Jesus Christ bled on the cross and rose again from the dead, and He ever lives to make intercession for us and cancels the sin, iniquity, and failure of all those who repent and believe the gospel. That's what Jesus does. So Jesus assures with his mercy those doubting his righteousness. But that's not all. Jesus assures with his authority those doubting their right. There are some who say, what right do you have to declare all the other religions outside of Christ wrong? How can you even imply such a thing? Do you not know that you live in a sophisticated age? Do you not understand that? And then there is the notion that you must earn the right before you are heard. Well, there's another message here in the text that I prefer above all of those. Daniel chapter 7, verse 14, Daniel had a great vision of the kingdoms of the earth. And in Daniel chapter 7, verse 14, God announces himself and who he is by saying, Then to him, the later king who will rule all the other kingdoms, to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. And Jesus picks up on this language in Daniel 7, 14, and revises it and reshapes it for these purposes here in verse number 18. Look what he says. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, how much authority did Jesus claim there? All of it. He claimed all authority in heaven and earth. That's a Hebraism for everywhere. There's nothing that's not heaven and earth. Everything falls under His authority. Uh, This is actually authority that Satan offered him back in Matthew chapter 4. Do you remember the temptation? Not that you were there, but you've read it. Uh, He offered him all the kingdoms of the earth by simply bowing down and missing the cross and bowing down before Satan and claiming it. Beloved, I want to tell you, Jesus went to the cross and got the same authority without any regret. So here he claims it by the cross and resurrection. And throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew anticipates Jesus would have authority over all. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, he has authority over demons and over disease. Well, that authority expands. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 28, where he has authority over demons. And then that expands in Matthew chapter 10, verse number 6, where he has authority over all of Israel. 
And after his cross and resurrection, he says not only individuals, demons and disease in Israel, but now authority over everything. Jesus is Lord over all. And he has the right to rule and reign and send ambassadors into all the earth because it all belongs to him. For someone in this earth to object to Christians sharing the good news, inviting men and women to repent from false religion and false philosophy and other falsities of our age would be like someone invading your home and squatting there. And you send representatives in to negotiate the person out. And they say, what right do you have to be here? Well, how about you go to Amazon and just purchase two of those? Listen, the truth is, is that the property belongs to you. And this earth, every square inch on this terrestrial ball is bowed before him and owned by Jesus Christ. We do not transfer to the world that authority that belongs only to Jesus he has a right to be heard in all the earth. This is my Savior's world. The more pertinent question is not what right do we have to speak, but what right do you have to resist your Lord? So, for those doubting their right, Jesus offers the assurance of his authority. But there's a third thing. Jesus assures with his strategy those doubting their role those doubting their role. What in the world do you do to fulfill the Great Commission? Reminds me of the college student walking on campus one day, and he saw a fellow with a large button on his lapel, and it had the initials B-A-I-K. And he stopped the young man and said, what in the world does B-A-I-K mean? It means, boy, am I confused. And he said, don't you know that confused does not start with the letter K? He said, you don't know how confused I am. Ladies and gentlemen, there is enormous confusion over what constitutes the Great Commission. I don't know why, because Jesus here outlines that there are several ways to express the same meaning, and all of these are legitimate. Uh, evangelize, baptize, catechize, uh, make disciples with evangelism, mark disciples with baptism, mature disciples with teaching, or you can say going, baptizing, and teaching, spread the word, show the word with baptism, share the word with the convert evangelize, express with baptism, equip, winning, baptizing, and training, which is the language I'm suggesting. Or a potential motto would be bring them in, build them up, send them out. I think all of these are legitimate. Now, Michelle was asking the children one morning after I preached, build them in, build them, bring them in, build them up, send them out, what uh, my uh, suggested motto was. And Luke said, uh, bring them in, teach the Word, and throw them out. Well, I, <laughs> I wouldn't quite uh, suggest that, but... Um, he got the spirit of the text right. Let me clarify here. There are four commandments in this passage, not just one. Most of the commentators will make the mistake of reducing it to one, and that is make disciples. The problem is there are three participles that surround the main command that carry the force of the command. Now, the primary or the first command is make disciples. Make disciples of all the nations. That's evangelism. Some have reduced that down to teaching other Christians. But the nations were not Christians when Jesus gave this. They were in darkness. They were lost under the wrath of God, under judgment for their sin. And so to make disciples of all the nations is to win disciples, as Tom Johnson at Midwestern Seminary uh, paraphrases, to win disciples of all the lost of all the earth. Well, the word going, baptizing, and teaching all pick up their force 
from that main commandment. They're participles. The word go is an aorist participle of antecedent condition. That means before we ever make disciples, we have to go first. We go intentionally. We go strategically. And then baptizing and teaching are present participles, which tell us how to do that. So they all carry the force of this imperative, this command, make disciples. So we can translate the passage. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all things that I commanded you. And that's why I'm suggesting we summarize this. Winning, baptizing, training, great commission, great commissionaries of all the peoples. Now this proves two things in this text. One, it proves all are responsible for the great commission. All are responsible for the great commission. Not merely professional ministers. And not, as some argued in William Carey's day, the apostles. If the Great Commission here was only for the apostles, or if the Great Commission here were only for professional ministers, then that's true about baptism, teaching, and the Lord's presence. But is baptism and teaching and the Lord's presence only for the apostles and only for professional ministers? No, it's for who? All those who trust Christ as Lord and Savior. So it's incumbent upon all of us. And so all of us are to play a role in the totality of the Great Commission. So it proves that all are responsible for the Great Commission. Then it proves all are ruined. There are some who say, as long as you have sincere faith in God, you're safe in eternity with God, and God will accept that. Or if you are sincere about your religion, you're safe in eternity. God will take that seriously and you'll be safe. Or those who never heard the gospel, they're safe as long as they had as much faith as creation and conscience could give them. If that were the case, I would suggest to you that this command in the Great Commission is the most cruel thing Jesus could do. Because that means He would be sending out missionaries who would give the world a chance to reject Him. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is not being cruel here at all. Jesus is being marvelously gracious and inviting the whole world to come to Him. They are in need of salvation, therefore He commands us to go and make disciples. Hudson Taylor, the great China missionary, the China Inland Mission, witnessed to a young man by knee, shared the gospel with him, and knee came to Christ and began to travel with him some and shared his testimony. And one day, Nee asked Hudson Taylor, by the way, how long has your country of England had the good news? And Hudson Taylor said, well, centuries. He said this, well, my father sought the truth and died without finding it. Why didn't you come sooner? And may I say to you, in my little less than a year here in Athens, I've met people who've never heard the good news of Christ. It is true in China. It's true in Athens, Georgia. Why didn't we come sooner? Jesus assures with this strategy those doubting their role. But there's a fourth thing. Jesus assures with His company those doubting their resources. They needed this great commission. They needed the blissful promise of verse number 20. Dr. Criswell wrote about this. No money. No schools. No mission boards, no printing presses, no prestige, no access, no organization, no influence, no bonds, no property. 
All they had was a burning, blessing, saving message and the Spirit of God who helped them declare it at any cost and with any sacrifice. They needed this. And they go on in the book of Acts and declare the gospel. They, they lacked resources, but they did not lack riot or difficulty. Because there are 43 instances of conflict in the book of Acts that dogged their steps from chapter 1 all the way to the end of chapter 28 in the book of Acts. In fact, the way Paul knew that he had an effective Sunday was to count his wounds and bandages on Monday. That is what we find taking place in the life of the disciples. They needed verse 20. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, Jesus said. This is an emphatic promise. He begins it with the word lo, or remember, or take note. It's, it's emphatic. Lo. And then it's not only emphatic, it's personal. I am with you always. I would have been pleased if Moses would walk with me or Elijah. I like to have access to some of that fire once in a while that Elijah had. But he didn't say that Elijah or Moses would walk with us. Instead, he said, I will walk with you. I will not leave you as orphans. And beloved, I can't think of anyone greater to walk with the people of God today than Jesus Christ. It's emphatic. It's personal. Then it's enduring. I am with you always, even to the end of the age, when things are in and when things are out, when things are high, when things are low, when things are right, when things are wrong, when we want to sing praises, when it's necessary to sing a dirge, when there's applause or when there's criticism, when people admire us, when people scorn us, when there's joy, when there is heartbreaking sorrow, when we're young, when we're old, when we're strong, when we're weak. This day and to the end of the age, Jesus says, I will be with you. I know you've enjoyed your walk with the Lord. I know Jesus is the sweetest name you know, but there's more to come. Two little boys were standing on the deck of a luxury liner one day. They were on a cruise with their family, and one of them looked at the ocean, first time he'd ever seen it, and said, look at all that water. Look at all that water. And the other little boy said, yes, and that's just the top of it. And I want to say to you, what you've experienced is lovely and great, but that's just the top of it. There is more in the Son of God than we've ever known. There is no circumstance in a great commission of life for which Jesus is not adequate. Jesus can solve any problem. The tangles of life undo. There's nothing too hard for Jesus. There's nothing He cannot do. Crucified, buried, risen, coming again, blessing His people and walking with them all the way. You are a great commission force if you'll trust the Lord. So the Lord knows that you need and you have need and has therefore given you and me the Great Commission from the Scripture, the churches, and the witnesses. If you've not obeyed the Lord in His Great Commission, today can be a new day for you. You do not have to be a Judas Iscariot. You can be a Peter. You can be one of his brethren. Psalms 32 verses 1 and 2 say, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not input iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. The scripture says, Repent and return that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus. If if you will depart from your life outside of Christ and His will, and if you will deposit your eternity and your sins into His sacrificial hands, God is willing to cancel your sin and your guilt of disobeying the Great Commission. 
And you have the opportunity now this morning to make that decision for Christ. And Father, we want to pray that friends would do that and become marvelously obedient to the Great Commission. Let them see their purpose honoring and exalting the Son of God. Bring us to the point in our hearts and lives where we simply cannot help it to win, baptize, and to train great commissionaries. And Lord, whatever conversion or cleansing or calling is necessary, would you please perform it today? And by the time we sing the last song, would you work in such a way that everyone within the sound of my voice today will be on their journey to fulfilling the Lord's great commission. Now we're going to sing a song. And as we sing, staff will stand here in the front to receive you. Would you step out from where you are and meet a staff member here and share your spiritual need? And we will be glad to help you. Quickly, would you stand with me, please? I'm going to finish my prayer. and We're going to ask you to come. Father, do a neat work in this time. Please honor Jesus. And may every word and every thought of our heart be transformed into something that's acceptable to you even now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.